Hi, I'm Abby Rosenblum, founder of Social Modern Matchmaking and your host of Ghosted, a podcast about making dating easy and fun again so you can find your boo. Get it? We'll talk with dating experts, coaches, and real clients of mine and single people from around the world. Stick around for corny jokes, dating advice, and deep dives into the psychology behind finding love. It's another amazing episode of the Ghosted Podcast. And, you know, I feel like I actually put on makeup today for one of the first times in a while. And I adjusted my ring light, so I'm feeling good. So, yes, Christine Earthheart is here, and she is the co-founder of the Center for Thriving Relationships and the host of Thriving Relationships Show. Christine is a beloved teacher and facilitator. In addition to supporting clients in thousands of breakthrough coaching sessions, she's led hundreds of workshops, trainings, weddings, and group circles over the past 16-plus years. Well, you've been at this for a while. I bet you've helped a lot of people. Mm, such an honor and joy. Awesome. So I guess give a little background to our listeners. I've been uh, reading up on how you got into this and I'm curious to also hear from you, you know, what led you to want to help people work through relationship issues and create stronger and healthier relationships? Yeah. Well, thanks so much for having me. I'm so happy to share. So I am now with my husband, Brett, for over 20 years and We had a beautiful start to our love story. It was very sparkly and it was like the soulful beginning. And we both had done lots of personal works. We were longtime meditators. I was like, oh, relationships. It just seems like it would be easy. I did quite a bit of personal development work. So we got together, had this wonderful start. And then he was living in Indiana. I was living in California. We did the long distance thing. And then we moved in together. We bought a home together and suddenly we're parenting our young son. So I became a stepmom at 22 and we're discovering we have different styles of parenting and differences in how clean we like the house and we're attracted to other people and wondering what to do about that. And suddenly what was so easeful before we all of a sudden, our differences got really highlighted. So a few years in, you know, one night looking at each other on the couch and I think we'll never forget, we really turned to face each other. And we realized like, this is not bringing out our best. Like we have lots of wonderful moments. Absolutely. And we also some really tough moments. And we just found ourselves in these repetitive challenges that we would sort of press the repeat button. And we'd end up in a similar place, a similar conversation without really finding the way out. And we thought, I think we're just incompatible. Our differences are too great. And so that night we decided we really had three options. Like we could just bless each other on our separate paths, realizing that, okay, this relationship served our purpose, but now we're ready for the next era. Or we could keep doing things how we had been doing them just through trial and error and hope that, you know, it might get better on its own. And we realized, gosh, in five years, we probably are going to end up about where we are right now. Or we could dive in and learn everything we could about how to have a great relationship because we were realizing that relationships require a unique skill set. You know, we considered ourselves kind people, generous people, pretty easygoing people. And yet relationships are so uniquely humbling because they bring everything to the surface. All of our unpleasant patterns, all of our unconscious patterns, all of our fears, all of our wounds, you know, any part of us that needs growth and evolution, it will get highlighted in the context of relationships. We thought, well, we both had been kind of enamored with the individual potential for healing and transformation. We had our own healing and our own individual lives. We thought, hmm, maybe there's more that's possible here because we certainly had a loving care for each other. We were just getting stuck. And so that night we ordered this tall stack of 
books. And at the time it was DVD courses and CD courses. And we devoted every Friday night to what we called conscious date nights. We were just committed every Friday night, we're going to apply some new tool or technique or tip to our relationship. And hopefully we'll start to see some changes and our relationship completely and utterly transformed through this process. And we started attending couples retreats around the country and it was like suddenly the lights were on and we could see each other clearly and we understood what was going on underneath the surface of what was happening. We found new ways to communicate. We fell in love with our differences and found ways for them to work magnificently for us. So it was so transformative. And it really, we never imagined that we would be working with couples. We both were Brett's uh, licensed psychotherapist. I'm a longtime coach. I was doing kind of energy healing and somatic work and coaching work with people. And we just realized we couldn't not share this. It's really one of those things that I'm sure so many tuning in can relate to that once you discover something that you're like, oh my gosh, so many people are struggling with this. And suddenly we you know, have the flashlight and have the tools. And so we decided over 10 years ago now, once our relationship was just better than ever before, it was really the relationship of our dreams that we very consciously created. Uh, we opened up the Center for Thriving Relationships and started seeing couples and just fell so wildly in love with doing this work because relationships are like human growing machines. They are such catalysts for our healing and growth if we allow them to be. So now our team has grown and yeah, we just feel so privileged to get to be invited into some of the most intimate moments with people and to help people suffer a whole lot less and experience so much more joy and connection together. Right. And it's, you know, amazing that you guys had that pivotal moment and decide, and, you know, I think it was almost probably more work and you can tell me if I'm wrong to say, okay, we're going to continue on and work on ourselves, you know, rather than say, let's go our separate ways. And I'm sure it wasn't all just easy breezy. Okay, we read some books and everything was better. Could you share maybe what were some of the obstacles along the way that you did have to overcome? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, when we first fell in love, I I was so drawn to how easygoing Brett was. He's like one of the most accepting people. He just goes with the flow. He really accepts things as they are. He is like so zen. He's been a licensed psychotherapist in the emergency department at the hospital. And he's just like calm in these moments of chaos or crisis. And he just like trusts it's all going to work out. So it is an extraordinary part of him. And fast forward a few years in, and we're like managing a house together. I tend to you know, be more of like a planner and I would do things ahead of time and have my list. And so he would just like, oh, it'll get done when it needs to get done. You know, and so that very part of him that I loved so much when we were in our power struggle, in our difficult moment, you know, I was really focused on perceiving him as, you know, being undependable and then filling in a story that he doesn't really care. Like if he really cared, he would do dot, dot, dot. It feels like so long ago saying that, but it's like, that was it's such a common prompt we use in relationships. Like, well, if you really loved me, you would do whatever it might be for all of us. If you really cared about me, if you really heard me, you would, whatever it might be. And so I was really assuming that the things that came easily for me also came easily for him. So if he wasn't doing them, it was out of choice rather than, oh my gosh, he just has different strengths. He has different wiring. Like he has a completely different response to life. And so you know, that was certainly an area that was really recurring because, you know, in the logistics of life, uh, we were operating really, really differently. And so and that's one example. And then it's it's 
that's like one difference we have, but so much, it's not about the issue, it's how we communicate about the issue. And so our pattern, which is one of the most common dynamics we've now discovered in relationships is that I, if you're out there and you love to resolve something in the moment, maybe you have a hard time going to bed. If there's something unresolved, you're the one that's more prone to like follow your partner to the other room or follow someone to the other room. Like it, it weighs on you until you have resolution in a conversation which would be me in this dynamic. And Brett is like, okay, emotions are high right now. Let's just talk about it later. Like when we're talking about it, it's not really going anywhere. So I'm just going to step back over here. And of course, the more he would step back, the more activated I would be emotionally, which then he would perceive as being overwhelming, overbearing, or even when I didn't think I was being critical, he would see it. I'm like, I'm not criticizing you, but of course it came across totally critical. We we're in this dynamic where he would then withdraw even more. And then I would, you know, want to pursue, not even romantically pursue, but just pursue the conversation. And I'd want to keep talking about it and process it. And then he would get flooded and overwhelmed. And then we would start, you know, we would be in conflict about the conversation itself rather than even ever getting to what the core challenge was. And so rest assured, anybody who is in that dynamic with one of you, you know, tends to pursue and the other one tends to withdraw. If those are unaddressed, they just get even more and more kind of polarized. And you both feel the person that is pursuing tends to feel alone. You feel like you're just longing for more than anything for your partner to engage with you, to be responsive, to know that they have your back, to know that they've got this, like you're wanting that kind of security. And the person who is stepping back is longing usually for more than anything to know that they can succeed. They want to be seen positively. They want to feel like it's safe to connect. They usually want more warmth, more affection, more appreciation, things like that, which kind of melts the nervous system. It makes it safe to re-engage. Uh, so there's totally an off-ramp to that repetitive cycle that is so, so common, but left unaddressed, it can just leave both people feeling which we felt, you know, we'd have these conversations and we would both feel even more unheard, misunderstood, unappreciated, and just ultimately alone and disconnected. So I'll pause there, but that's a little window into the dynamic that definitely was not working for us and definitely was not bringing at our best. Yeah. And I think too, it's like, obviously you're not going to be identical to the person that you're in a relationship with. And it makes me think of a lot of the single people who come to me and say, okay, I'm looking for this. I'm looking for that. They tell me all the things they're looking for. And it's a lot of things that are very similar to them. Or maybe they'll have something where it's like, I can't be with someone who isn't as clean as me. Or, you know, they'll get really specific. Like I can't have someone with a dog that sheds or, you know, all these very specific things that, you know, as when you get into a relationship, you're like, we could figure out a way to work around. But, you know, what advice would you give to single people that are kind of thinking of those super specific things rather than saying, I want someone who's kind and passionate about their work and wants kids, you know, maybe those are good, better places to start, in my opinion, versus focusing on dog can't sleep in the bed. <laughs> totally. And I so get it thinking of all those things. And <laughs> I would say, I would say when we really are drawn, I think there is a part of our innate wisdom that we get drawn to someone who will balance us. I don't think necessarily our opposite, someone who's really our opposite might actually be a bit incompatible, but someone who is quite different from us because it will, it will allow us to be more balanced. Like now I watch that with couples. It's like, thank goodness. And like, everything about breath that is different from me is really what I needed to become more balanced inside of myself. And we both become actually more and more like each other over time. And so I'd say differences are 
so wonderful. And what I would look for is our values underneath it. Like, do we essentially value similar things like kindness, like connection, like integrity, honesty, family? Like where, where are our values? Are we more purpose oriented? Are we more family oriented? Is it community? Is it health? So I think that's really helpful. And so we can share values that are kind of on a deeper level and pers our personalities can be different. Like how we express it can be different, but it's really wonderful to have shared value. So looking at like, what do you value most? And I think, yeah, what you're suggesting. And then also vision. So values and vision are the two places that we usually recommend people looking at. And so vision of, yeah, do you want to have children? Do you want to kind of homestead and live on the farm? Or do you want to be traveling all around the world? Like those are some things that would be bigger that might be helpful to at least have the conversation Whereas the little things like I love having our three furry dogs sleep in bed with us and probably wouldn't be Brett's top choice, but he has been so wonderful to let me fulfill my childhood dream of sleeping <laughs> with 12 paws in our bed. And so, you know, it's different for every part, every partnership, but I think the most important quality that I would really look for in a relationship if I was entering is someone who is willing to accept influence and is willing to grow because then you're just not at a standstill. You get to get curious and collaborative and hear each other's feelings and value each other's needs and find a way that you both get to win uh, where you're not like sacrificing things that are so important to you. So I would say, I would look for that more is like, is it someone who's open? So the number one predictor of divorce is someone who's unwilling to accept influence from their partner. So yeah, those are the things I would look at more than some of those like little like what height they are or, you know, which I totally understand. But yes, those, those don't tend to matter so much yeah. in the long run. Don't get me started on the height preferences. Like we, <laughs> I can't get on my soapbox today on that. I'm sure the listeners are tired of hearing it anyway, <laughs> but I am so there with you with the values. I ask all of my singles, like what their values are. And obviously that's a huge thing for matching for me. Um, you know, even if someone says, okay, they have to load the dishwasher this way. I'm like, I'm ignoring that. And I'm not going to ask any of your potential dates, how they load their dishwasher. <laughs> <laughs> so I wanted to ask you too, are there any things that you see, like I know you said the number one predictor of divorce that you see is someone who won't accept influence, but are there other trends you see with couples? I know you mentioned maybe having the different reactions to conflict, like what trends do you see in your work? I'm honestly personally just curious and I'm guessing it's something kind of interesting. Yeah, for sure. I mean, so when couples come to our office, a very common experience we have on the first session, they like kind of, you know, we'll ask them what inspired them to reach out for support, if anything was possible, what they would love to experience in their relationship. So they'll kind of share for some of them. It's, you know, the magnitude of challenge that they're navigating is really significant. Others, it's like, we're just kind of tired of arguing or our kids just, you know, graduated or we just, we've been raising a newborn and now we need to reconnect. So all different stages, all different reasons. And then they'll ask us like, so is there hope? And really, truly, I just like want to extra highlight that it isn't about the size of the challenge. It really is like how growth oriented are they? How committed are they to really taking responsibility for their own role in things? And so I would say that is just number one is that whole area of people that are, they have a fixed mindset and they're like, well, love me as I am or leave. Like, this is what you signed up for. So that's really huge red flag. So someone that's, you know, certainly we don't want to go into a relationship wanting to change our partner, but I relationships, we're just always, we're either growing or deteriorating. So we need to always be 
you know, asking ourselves, like, what does the relationship need from me in order to thrive, in order to be healthier or stronger? So that is huge. And then, yeah, a willingness to engage in like healthy communication because it isn't so much about the issues. Really, truly, there are couples that will come to our office that have been, have been together for decades. And in one conversation, when they can have it in a productive, healthy, safe, skillful way, they'll be like, we've been trying to have that conversation for decades and I've never heard you talk about it like that. And the other person's like, I've never felt heard until this moment. Like, I feel like you finally got it. And so people who are willing to communicate, which is really two sides. So someone that is willing to, you know, openly share their inner landscape and their feelings, but that can really be built. So again, it's like the growth mindset because I feel like so much can be developed. So we don't necessarily come into relationships with communication superpowers or emotional literacy. Someone's like, I don't know what I feel. They might be starting there, but if they're willing to learn, we can go so far. There's like no limit to the amount of healing and growth that we can have in a relationship. But ideally, someone that's willing to communicate and that makes it safe to communicate. Because we can also train our partners to not want to communicate with us if we bring things up and then we get defensive. And so, so yeah, we all have different kind of what we call relationship poisons, so strategies that we use to get our needs met, like blame, criticism, withdrawing, dominating, stubbornness, name calling, so many different things that we might do in relationship. But I, yeah, I would say that is just, that is so up there. Otherwise the categories are like finances tend to be a hot topic, household chores, sexuality. So their own sexuality, how to navigate feeling attracted to other people and raising children. So those are the those are the big four areas that tend to be the areas of conflict if we're looking at just an issue level. And now technology. We really think we're like that's we used to always say those are the four categories, but now we think technology is really adding a whole nother one because it mm. is feels like such a threat to our nervous system that our partner's not there and connected to us. So it's creating a lot of disconnect in partnerships. It's just how we manage technology and if we have different wants and needs around that. Wow. I mean, I feel like single people should be writing these categories down because you could kind of have these on your mind as you start forming relationships with people and thinking about it because you are so spot on with all that too. And um, I'm curious if maybe I love to talk about red flags, green flags, yellow flags, all the flags, you know, what are some green flags maybe our singles could look for if they want to find that growth oriented type of person? when they're kind of in the beginning stages of dating? Yeah, yeah. Such such a good question. And I love so much. I just have to say, Abby, the work you do is just oh. so beautiful and powerful. I would say what I, I know I would look for if I was dating right now is how somebody speaks about other people in their lives. And so naturally, something that comes up is people will talk about past relationships. And if someone is just talking about their partner, past partners negatively, that would be a red flag, whereas you asked about green flags would be when they're reflecting on past relationships, are they reflecting on what they learned from it, how they grew from it, their own role in things like that would, I would respect them so much more. I would trust them so much more because that's the same person that they were totally enamored with at one point, which doesn't mean that they can't talk about the challenges that I'm sure are very real as well. I would, I would, it would be such a green flag for me if they were like, yeah, you know, this relationship ended and they talked really kindly still about the person and had empathy for them and were like wishing them well. Those are things I'd be like, oh, that's, yeah, there's a lot of integrity and honesty and self-awareness and the ability to reflect uh, on themselves and just take responsibility for their own role in it would be, for me, definitely a green flag. 
Yeah, I love that too. And I always tell people, don't talk about your ex, badmouth them on the first couple dates, bring it up later on, you know, but it'll naturally come up at some point. You know, even if like to your point, if you're something really negative or bad happened in that relationship, there's a way that you can say it that isn't going to be a red flag. (laughs) And if you want to work on that, (laughs) I'm sure you can reach out to either of us too. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Yes. And there are moments, of course, it can be so bonding to actually receive empathy and validation about your past relationships. If you had a really difficult past relationship and suddenly you feel like someone hears you and gets it and somebody, this new person kind of has your background it you know, that can be such a beautiful experience as well. So this is not, of course, not like a never, but yeah. something I would definitely look for is how, how they speak about past partners, I think can be very telling. Ooh, okay. Green flag to look for people. <laughs> and as our single listeners are preparing to get into relationships or maybe in the beginning phases, I know you talk about there are different stages that you can kind of predict as relationships progress. Can you share a little bit about those and share as much or as little as you want? You got it. Yes. So the five kind of predictable stages of a thriving relationship in particular, that first stage is the romance stage, which can look different. Not every couple has the fireworks and sparkles. Sometimes it's this truly beautiful friendship and the friendship begins to evolve. And and if that's the case, just a shout out to relationships that start as friendships because friendships really is the foundation of long-term love. And so sometimes it can be confusing for people if you're friends with someone and you're like, oh, I don't know if I feel the like rush of chemicals, um, but I deeply love and care. So the slow burn can actually be so healthy, but that romance stage, for some people, it's like, there's the rush of chemicals. We can't see, it's impossible really to see the whole person, you know, within those first minutes or days or months of meeting someone. Um, And it's beautiful and so celebratory, like how we tend to feel. And in those moments, you know, we naturally are kind of giving them our best because we want to win them over and woo them and impress them. And we want to be liked by them. And, you know, so as much as possible, of course, we want to share our most authentic selves because rather than just winning them, we actually want to feel into whether or not this is a good match for us. And I'm sure this is you know, so much you are genius at helping people how to prepare for that. And those early stages, we tend to see their best and we overlook the more challenging qualities. And this is designed for survival because if we could see the whole person in like those first date, can you imagine if you sat down with someone on the first date and you could see like all of their wounds, all of their challenging qualities, all the things they're bringing into the relationship, we might go running the other way and we would never actually get to you know, slowly fall in love with the whole person. So the romance stage serves such a purpose. And what can happen is that any relationship, so I'm a very positive, optimistic person. And when a couple comes, you know, to us in the early stages and they're like, oh my gosh, everything's just so easy. We just communicate so well. We just get along so well. We're so compatible. So I am, you know, the first to celebrate that fully. That is really, really real. And then you're like, you know, just wait. <laughs> I know, I know. And it's like so good because conflict really is growth wanting to happen. So I wouldn't even wish for anybody not to have conflict. It's really inevitable. Whenever you bring two unique humans together with different preferences and needs and histories and communication styles, everything, it is inevitable. And you're going to be tired some days and hungry and stressed and overwhelmed. Like there are going to be moments that we're just not giving our partner our best selves. And when it feels like what I want and what you want are at odds, and we're not going to be 
particularly skilled at navigating that. So that's when we enter a power struggle. And that basically is it. It's like, wait a second, what I want, what I need, and what you want and need, you need, they feel different. And I'm going to test out all these different strategies to try we to get my visitor. I'm so sorry. She's crashing the podcast. Uh, <laughs> which, what puppy is that? This is Pancake. She's a celeb on Ghosted. You could just see her tail in the corner if you're watching the video. <laughs> that is awesome. And her name is Pancake. Her name is Pancake. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, that's well, just I gotta the say, best. we're still, I've been in the romance phase of Pancake for over two years now. So. We're short now with animals. I think it gets to be permanent romance stage. I'm all for that. Yes, I hope to never, never leave that stage. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, sorry. We got interrupted. So we were at the power struggle. The power struggle. So in the power struggle stage, it's easy to feel disenchanted and to be like, you're not who you said you were. You're not who I thought you were. Like if we're meant to be, isn't this supposed to be so much easier? Like surely if this is right, it shouldn't take this much work. So Couples can get stuck there. This is when relationship poisons come out, which can be, again, blame, criticism, defensiveness, thinking we know it all, talking over our partner, dominating them, using more words, talking excessively, running to friends to complain about our partner, keeping our feelings in, hiding, secrets, dishonesty, so many different things. You know, we all tend to have our favorites that we go to. And There's a (laughs) lot there. Yeah. Yeah. I know we have like a two-sided document. It's one of the first exercises we do with clients because we're like, let's just turn all the cards over and just to see those with such compassion. Like they really are just strategies to get our needs met. They're just not the best strategies. So out of desperation to get our needs met, we tend to resort to some of the less optimal strategies, some good ones, but also some that aren't really working. So that's the power struggle. So some couples will spend their entire lives in one kind of long drawn out power struggle. And you've probably seen those couples before where they're just a bit resentful. They're kind of nitpicky with each other. Like they seem like they love each other, but they also, they might, maybe they roll their eyes at each other from time to time. So that's one option. They have good moments, but they kind of just never really um, examine those patterns or couples end up breaking up because they're like, okay, well this, I don't want to live like this. So that, so we have two options, either stay together and live in this kind of relationship, or, you know, we realize like this surely isn't right. And some couples absolutely is just not the right thing. Others though, have only experienced a tiny, teeny fraction of who they're capable of being together. And on just the other side of the power struggle, so this is Brett and I, is stage number three, which is making a commitment. So that night that we were on the couch, you know, over 15 years ago, we are like, okay, we don't really know. Maybe we're not a good match, but let's at least commit to diving in and learning everything we possibly can about relationships and seeing if maybe we are a good match after all. And so that's the commitment. And so if you have been dating somebody for a little while and you're like, oh, golly shucks, here we are. We're in that inevitable, predictable power struggle stage. Hmm, maybe it doesn't mean we need to break up. Maybe this is our time to like really commit to diving in and doing our inner work and doing healing and growth together, which can actually be super fun. It doesn't, it can certainly be hard work, but also it's like really full of relief and ahas. It's very illuminating. It can really, really be so enriching. And so then the fourth stage is growth. And that's learning all the things about relationships that we've just never learned. You know, we probably, we ask people like, who else do you know has a thriving relationship? And couples, they're like, huh, not many people we know. And sometimes they're like, well, at least we're not as bad as so-and-so. And And so they set the bar pretty low. And so, so innocently, you know, we just tend to mirror the 
patterns we've seen in others, or we want to do the opposite of what they did, but that still isn't quite the healthiest, most sustainable option. And so that, that fourth stage is all about growth. So maybe it's reading books, listening to podcasts, going to coaching or therapy. And the fifth stage is thriving. So the fifth stage is like the best part of the romance stage. So again, we're giving each other our best. We're seeing each other's best. We're each other's number one fans again. We are nurturing the relationship. We're continually on the lookout for how to make each other's lives more wonderful, how to appreciate and celebrate each other. Um, but there's trust and safety. And we really love the whole person, not just the shiny, sparkly qualities on the outside. And there's deep trust and security. And we have this compelling and inspiring vision of where we're really headed in our relationship. So that's where we want to spend as many moments as possible. And once you get there, it's not like you're permanently there, you know, just like eating healthy. We don't get like, oh, I'm healthy. Now I can just coast. Like every day we need to choose, you know, how to like really nurture our health and well-being. So the same is true for our relationship. It just gets easier and easier so that we want to spend, if we get back into a power struggle, we're like, oh, let's within five minutes or at least five hours, let's recommit to being allies and teammates and learning and growing through this. And then let's grow and let's get back to thriving and spend as many moments as possible there. So we just want to shorten the amount of time we're in the power struggle and spend as many moments as possible thriving. So those are the five stages, which is usually a message of hope. That's my deep wish is that it's like, really a message for hope that when things get tough, rest assured, so much more is available. Right. And I think I love what you said too, that it's not just like done one day, you know, it's constant work. And I feel like people say that a lot about relationships. You know, I always joke with singles, they're like, dating is so hard. It sucks. And I'm like, well, you know, when you get in a relationship, it'll be a different kind of hard, <laughs> you know, and maybe you'll like that type of hard a little better than just having to meet a new person every night of the week. But it's like kind of enjoy the phase that you're in, enjoy the struggles of dating now and, you know, enjoy and overcome those power struggles that come later on in the relationship too. So I agree with you. I'm always trying to give people hope because I think you and I both get people in a place, they come to us. There's not a lot of hope left usually. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, I love just reframing like, oh yeah, there's whatever route we, we take in life, we're not going to avoid the challenges. And so we might as well just use them for like our awakening and our healing and our growth and embrace them. Totally. And I wanted to ask you too, when you were talking about the power struggles, this question came up for me of, is there a timeline that you see of like when the first power struggle happens or like, is it a red flag to get out now if you already have this happening in the first week of getting to know each other? Yeah, it does. It's a great question. It does. We find that it does vary. So some couples, you know, depending on how quickly you move forward, the more that our lives overlap, the more impact we have on one another, the more likely a power struggle will arise because what our partner or the person we're dating says or does or doesn't say or do like impacts us more and more greatly. And the more we feel kind of comfortable expressing more of our wants and our needs. So if couples move in together kind of more quickly, it tends to come up a lot more quickly. Whereas if someone, you know, maybe you're just having date night and there's like a lot of spaciousness in the relationship where you like spend time together and you bring your best selves and then you both go kind of go back to your life and, you know, you've got your own friendships, like lots of other places you're getting your needs met. It could take a little bit, a little while. Whereas if you're you're not getting your needs met from a lot of different places in life and you're looking to each other. And the more needs we're trying to get met from each other and the more impact we have on each other, the more quickly we're probably going to enter into a power struggle stage. That could be anywhere from, you know, a couple of months to really a couple of years if people are just taking it really slowly. 
Oh yeah. And I always tell people to like use the first few months to like really get to know someone. Mm -hmm. Like you were saying, we're going to show our best selves initially. So, you know, once you get out of that romance phase is when you'll really be able to tell if you want to stick around with that person. Totally. And Christine, I have loved all the info you have given listeners. And I feel like I have learned from you too. I want to apply some of the stuff to my own relationship with my husband too. You know, if people want to reach out, connect, learn more, you know, please share all the places they can do that. Well, thank you so much, Abby. So yes, my husband and I, so we run, it's called the Center for Thriving Relationships. I'm sure if you Google us, we would come up. Otherwise, it's centerthrive.com. So C-E-N-T-E-R, thrive, so T-H-R-I-V-E.com, centerthrive.com. And then you'll learn about counseling and coaching sessions that are available anywhere in the world. And we do weekend couples retreats and online courses. And then we also train people who want to become certified relationship coaches. So if you want to learn how to have a great relationship while you're in the dating stage, we've actually had many single people go through that certification because they're like, okay, I want to do it differently next time. And I know intimately kind of what doesn't work. And I want to set myself and other people up for success. So being single is um, fully welcome in our certification program. So we can check, you can visit us there or we hang out over on Instagram. So we're at Center for Thriving Relationships and would be thrilled to be connected in any way that we can be of support. Awesome. And lots of good tips on your Instagram because I was checking that out too. So definitely go get some follow. And Christine, I like to end every episode with just a little extra words of wisdom. I know we've obviously covered a lot, but is there anything else, any hope you want to give single listeners that are listening out there? Mm, Well, I would say given the people that are tuning in that you know, if it's been a discouraging journey of being single and looking for your partner, I will find this is really anecdotal, but like that our, our mate selection actually increases as we age and as we have more experiences and as we get to know ourselves more and more clearly, because some people that get together really early on in life, and if it, if it works out, they're kind of just like lucky and they change so much. So, so that's one thing is that we see people that get together, you know, later in life or after many relationships that didn't work or after dating for a while, that that all actually will serve you in have finding a partner who really is a wonderful match for you and having that much more appreciation for them. And yes, I would share that. And, and just that there is so, so, so much hope. We see people in all stages of relationships and it's incredible, you know, what is available to us when we can really learn the roadmap for how to communicate and how to heal and how to, you know, bring out the best in each other. Um, definitely growth is like the most extraordinary things. I would say if you've not had a lot of models for healthy relationships, there are models out there. And I would just encourage anybody to really learn that so you can create a foundation because starting with start, we know we are creatures of habit and patterns. And so if we can start off with healthy patterns going into the relationship, oh my gosh, it's so much easier than getting into a pattern and trying to break it. So now you're like in the perfect moment in time to really learn about relationships and what a gift to bring to somebody else. Yes. Well said. Thank you so much. Look for those green flags, the growth green flag. There we go. I feel like we should name the episode. There we go. Green flag. Totally. (laughs) I love it. Well, Christine, thank you so much for joining me. This is a pleasure getting to know you a little bit and, you know, I will follow you on Instagram and follow along and see what you're up to. And to all listeners, you got this. The hope is out there. So have a great day. Thank you so much, Abby. Thanks, everyone. Disclaimer. 
This podcast is for entertainment purposes only. The stories and statements expressed herein are experiences and opinions. They may not represent the views of the production studio or the hosts. If you disagree with our content, that's okay. No podcast is perfect for everyone.